The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to your Friday edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of your SB Nation family of podcasts. Please like, share, and subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts across the Big Blue View Radio network. All right, I'm joined today by SB Nation's Mark Schofield, and we're going to talk a little bit uh, a little bit of New York Giants quarterback, a little bit of uh, of NFL draft quarterback. Get sort of an early look at some of the uh, the guys that that the Giants could potentially be looking at in the 2024 NFL draft. And Mark, how you doing? It's been a while. Uh, how you been? I've been well, my friend. It has been a while. Been far too long, but it is great to be with you. I wish we were doing it under different circumstances. I often joke that because of you know, the work that I do, the, the quarterback scouting stuff and the draft stuff, that when I come on a show, it's never a good thing. Like if I'm coming on a show, it's usually because things are going poorly and the listeners are curious about the next quarterback class. Like you, nobody had – like it's rare that I do a show for a, for a Kansas City Chiefs podcast. It's rare that I do – you know, I, I do some cowboy shows, some ego shows here and there, but usually it's like – all right, well, let, let's talk draft. And and so I'm kind of like the harbinger of doom um, when, it, when it comes to do, doing some team-specific shows. But uh, it, is, it is great to be here. It is great to be with you. And I'm uh, excited to dive in. Well, you know, I, I, I was curious because I, I figured I'd be doing you a favor today because I figured I had to tear you away from – from some of that Formula One nonsense and the other stuff that you do for for SBNation.com and, and and get you back to what you're supposed to get be me all back about. to my roots. I mean, this is this is a strange day because I, I'm interesting enough. I'm doing this show. I've got a Patriot show lined up right after. So again, harbinger of doom. Um, and I've got some NFL radio spots. Some days I forget which sport I'm covering. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, I've been doing a lot of F1 stuff this year. Um, interviewing drivers, interviewing CEOs of teams. It, it It's a very strange, strange world that I live in right now. Um, some days, like I said, I forget which sport I'm supposed to be covering that given day, but I know I'm supposed to be talking about football here. Um, okay. So it does get me back to my roots. I was going to say, this is football. This is NFL. <laughs> this, is this is Giants. This is not Vroom Vroom. Right. This is Giants. This is Daniel Jones. This is the future of quarterback play for the Giants so let's get into it Mark let's 
let's talk a little bit about Jones. And I don't know how much you've watched Daniel this year, obviously with all of his, in, you know, with missing time with his neck injury, now with the torn ACL, hasn't played a whole lot. When he did play, it wasn't good. There was a lot of regression. You know, my take has always been that a lot of things around the quarterback affect the way the quarterback plays. And yet you just can't ignore you can't ignore the regression in the way that he played. Just just your your initial thoughts on on the way that Jones played this season. Yeah, and I think we can sort of start big picture and then work small. And I wrote this a couple of weeks ago about the Giants that in many ways this year is sort of, you know, the problem of being a year ahead of schedule. I mean, if Mm -hmm. you think back to last summer, right, when Joe Shannon, you know this better than anybody, came out before last season and said, look, this is the hand we were dealt. You know, we were in a bad cap position. We had to make a lot of tough decisions. So we'll see where this season takes us, which I thought was one of the most refreshing things I've ever heard a general manager say. Because usually, look, we've all – you've been at you know, the Combine a lot of times, as have I. And we've stood together and listened to coaches and GMs sort of blow smoke in our general direction about the state of their roster. And he said, look, this is the hand we were dealt. I thought it was very refreshing at the time. But then they turn around and make a run to the playoffs. You know, They win a playoff game. And you're thinking, man, wow. What a tremendous job. Brian Dable, coach of the year. Like, you figured out Daniel Jones. They figured out this roster. This is a tremendous job. Now, look, they're a year ahead of schedule. That's great, right? Well, now you're seeing the bill kind of come due for that because you get the tougher schedule. You get everything that comes with – now you're not going to sneak up on teams. They're going to be ready for you. You get, okay, this is how you're going to use Daniel Jones in the pass game and the run game. Okay, we're going to have some answers for that. And you're seeing now the impact of that year ahead of schedule idea. And so I think that's a good – sort of thing to keep in mind with Jones. Yeah, there's been, he hasn't seemed comfortable all year. I I think that's mainly where I come down with Daniel Jones and the regression stems from that, the slow decision-making, the staring routes down, the mistakes with the football hasn't been comfortable. And it's a combination of defenses being ready for a lot of what they're doing. Offensive line and consistency up front. So he's been playing under a lot of pressure in the pocket and pressure is, is never a good thing. And then you start adding up all of these factors and you get a quarterback that is sped up, eyes and feet aren't tied together, decision-making is scattershot, throws then coming under duress when the decision-making is scattershot to begin with, and it's a world of badness. I mean, that that's kind of where the quarterback situation was with Daniel Jones, I mean, when he was in the lineup. And now they look. I, I know the conversation is going to shift to how do you fix this? Do you go down the quarterback route? And you probably, I think, given where you're going to be in the draft, have to take a long, hard look at drafting a quarterback because you can't win with the the way this is set up right now. You know, and right. there are certainly other things that you can fix, offensive line and weapons and things like that. But you would expect a quarterback to, at some level, maybe not survive and, and improve and you know play ahead of surpass what he's been dealt but at least like get close to that uh, at least kind of raise the level of play and he hasn't done that and, and so it opens the door to that quarterback decision come this spring Mark, you're, you're making me feel smart because those are all things that I have been saying on this podcast and all things that I've been writing at Big Blue View 
in regards to Daniel Jones. And listen, what it comes down to for me is this. All right. When it when we, you know, and, and we haven't gotten into the draft part of this yet, and we will. But what it what it comes down to for me in terms of the decision that the Giants have to make is this. It doesn't matter what the reasons are anymore. To me, it really doesn't matter. It's year five. Things are going backwards. Daniel Jones has one more year of guaranteed money left on on the contract that the Giants gave him. And go back to that contract, Mark, and I felt like the Giants had no choice. They, They played so well last year by being a year ahead that they were they were way out of range of drafting any quarterback except Will Levis. I mean, they could have drafted Will Levis at 25 if they had felt like it, but they were out of range for you know, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and they weren't going to trade the farm to get one of those guys. There were no veteran options out there. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, no thank you, all of that. Not better than not better than Daniel Jones at this point in their careers. I'm sorry. And not going to function behind a bad offensive line either. The Giants did what they had to do based on what happened last year. And I remember asking Joe Shane when he signed Daniel Jones if he ever thought when he got hired if he would be there, if he would be in that situation. And he said, no. He said, frankly, because he's very honest at times. He said, frankly, if I'd have known Daniel Jones was going to play this well, I would have used the fifth-year option and just not have been in this situation. But he had no choice because you can't just, after the guy takes you to the playoffs, you can't just throw him aside. Because if you do that, if you do that, the one thing people haven't considered, if you do that, you lose the locker room. You lose the guys that supported him, the guys that fought to make the playoffs, and you blow up the culture that you're trying to build. So they had no choice. But that being said, with what we've seen this year, with where the Giants are, with the position they're they're likely to be drafting in, my take is if you're sitting there and whether it's Caleb Williams or Drake May, or and we'll get into this later, if you happen to think that Jaden Daniels is Lamar Jackson. And you're sitting there with the with the opportunity to grab one of those guys, you do it. Okay. And and you and you deal with the Jones ramifications and the money and all of that. You do it because it doesn't matter the reasons with Daniel Jones. It's year five and it's not working. It's not getting better. You've got one year left. So get a reset and and you know, get 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 your guy if you're Dayball and Shane and 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 reset the whole thing. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And that's extremely well said. And I, interestingly enough, I was part of a fascinating roundtable discussion on Tuesday night with some names that you'll recognize, including Dan Hatman, um, who I know you've known for years. And the context of the, this point of the discussion, which I'm going to reference, was the Chicago Bears, right? Because they're in not the exact same situation, but a similar situation where they have Justin Fields. It will be year four for him next season you might have as it sits right now you're gonna have picks one and five according to the current draft order do you 
run it back with Justin Fields or do you take a quarterback? And I was fascinated to hear what Dan was going to say because Dan, you know, been in, around the NFL for his entire life, basically, and has been in locker rooms and has been on staffs. And so I was curious to see his thoughts. And he said, unequivocally, you take a quarterback. The position is just so important that you take the quarterback and you deal with the ramifications of having to move on from the other guy if the quarterback you pick turns out to be the right one. And I think the same situation sort of applies here. Like, if you're sitting right now, the Giants are at two. Caleb Williams, Drake May, QB3 to be named later, who may be your QB1 if you just fall in love with this guy, is too good of an opportunity to pass up at this point. You take that player and you deal with the Jones ramifications after that fact because the position is too important. Like, look around the league. Look at right there. I always do that wrong. New England Patriots. I'm a Patriots fan. Like, they are in the same boat. Like, they're not going to run it back with Mac Jones year four. Like, the position is too important. You have to figure it out. And if you have to end up, if you're in New England and you have to trade Mac Jones for a fifth-round pick because that's all you're going to get for him because the QB you drafted three turns out to be the answer, then you do it. The position is just too important. And that's where the Giants are right now. you got to get it right. And it's clear that it's not working. Absolutely. And and if you deal with the fact that, that you have a – a $47 million quarterback next year because that's what Jones's cap hit is. And he's either the backup or he's the transitional starter and everybody knows it, then, you know, so be it. I always yeah. say, and I think you agree with me, Mark, that that the worst thing you can do as a franchise is, is if you're staring at the opportunity to draft a guy that you love as a quarterback, that you think is a franchise guy, that you think has a, the chance to be a franchise guy. And it's the reason why I always defended Dave Gettleman taking Daniel Jones earlier than a lot of people thought Jones should have been drafted. If you love that guy, if you think that guy's a franchise quarterback, the worst mistake you can make is to pass on that guy and then watch him become a franchise quarterback while you struggle to figure out the position. Yeah. I mean, that's how you get fired. I mean, that's how you get fired as a, a, a decision maker, as a general manager. The position is just so critical. And I, I know it's different for the Giants as opposed to, say, the Bears and the Patriots who are going to be moving on from a QB on their rookie deal. But you make the numbers work. I mean, you'll find a way to make the numbers work. And if the quarterback you draft at two, hypothetically right now, ends up being good enough, then you'll still be able to build around that player on their rookie deal. And, you know, it, it, it's just the, the, the way to, like you said, miss on an opportunity like this is to not take advantage of the chance. Like you don't, Opportunities to pick at the top of the draft don't always come along. Like you've got an opportunity in what looks to be a very talented and deep quarterback class to take the player that may end up being the second player picked right now, but could still be your favorite of the bunch. It's too great to pass up. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. 
Questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Giants fans, before we continue our conversation with Mark Schofield, this is our Friday show, which means that I have to do the Week 11 Giants Commanders pick sponsored by our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. 467369 in Connecticut. Help is available by calling 888-789-7777 or visiting ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. Licensee partner Golden Nugget, Lake Charles, Louisiana. 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility terms and responsible gaming resources. Quickly, uh, as you guys might have seen in my picks at Big Blue View on Thursday morning, I am going with the Washington Commanders to win this game. I know that the Giants have in recent years dominated the Commanders but I simply can't pick this version of the Giants led by Tommy DeVito with an offense scoring 11 points a game. I can't pick this version of the New York Giants to uh, to win any games. So maybe when Tyrod Taylor gets back in the lineup, maybe I'll pick the Giants to to win games, but I may not pick the Giants to win another game this season. What I will say is if I was picking the spread in this game, which is currently nine, I don't have enough faith in Washington to uh, to take Washington with the points. So I would take the Giants with the points, but there's no way I take the Giants to win the game. All right, let's get back to our conversation with Mark Schofield. We're talking Giants. We're talking quarterbacks. And that means we need to turn our attention to the 2024 NFL draft class of quarterbacks. And Mark, I don't know if you're one of those people who sort of follows the the bouncing ball of where GMs, you know, scout on Saturdays. You know, people sort of go crazy about that stuff. And, you know, the reality of it is the Giants have scouted every major team multiple times, whether shown whether GM Joe Shane has been in attendance or not, they've seen all of these teams many times. I know Shane has seen Caleb Williams in, in person a couple of times, Drake May. Um, I know he's seen Jaden Daniels. 
I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure he's he's also seen Michael Penix and maybe Bo Nix. If he hasn't seen JJ McCarthy yet, I'm sure he will. But but it, it, I can't get I, I don't get too wound up in you know in where Shane is, but people love to track that stuff. Yeah, because it is fascinating to track. Of course, it's also important to remember that there are other positions beyond quarterback to be studied. And, you know, some of these teams that you're you're referencing the quarterbacks there, for example, you might be there to see some other players. I mean, you know, Washington has some fascinating receivers that you might want to take a look at. Oregon has talent on both sides of the ball that you might want to look at. Let's be honest. I wouldn't be surprised if you get 20 plus GMs at Ohio State, Michigan, you know, Mm -hmm. the Saturday after Thanksgiving, because there's talent on both sides of the ball. You might have the best wide receiver in the draft the best wide receiver in the draft in Marvin Harrison Jr., who, depending on what Chicago does, I mean, he might be a top-five pick. He might be sure. a top-five pick from another team. Look at Arizona. If they decide Colin Murray is still their QB going forward, that might be a spot for him. And so, you know, general managers go to games for a number of different reasons, but a lot of general managers also want to see quarterbacks live, you mm-hmm. know, because there are some things you can glean from a QB watching them live that you just – can't doesn't translate on film and the number one thing that i see it live as opposed to watching on film is just how the ball comes out of their hand i mean i still remember saturday and lucas oil the anthony richardson show and seeing in person the ball come out of his hands it just exploded out of his hands just when he was warming up let alone his throwing session and throwing in you know shorts and a t-shirt isn't the be all and end all but you can see the ball pop out. You can sometimes hear the ball pop out and it means something. And so seeing a quarterback live does matter, which is why I think it's, it's a look, we've all written those pieces, you know, so-and-so GM sees so-and-so player live, you know, ex GMs are at Ohio state, Michigan, like people are excited about it. And at some set, at some sense, it does matter when it comes to quarterbacks and even some other positions, seeing how players move and things like that. But they're going to see everybody. They'll have watched everybody. They'll have met with everybody. Like it, it just because they've gone to see you know QBs X Y and Z and not QBs one two three doesn't mean the QBs one two three are not on their radar. Right. I do think Joe Shane in two drafts has kind of shown a tendency to uh, to like to draft players he has seen in person, but. I think we've seen that over over his two draft cycles. So that is something to keep in mind with the Giants and in terms of the quarterbacks and players that he that he watches. I know that Jalen Hyatt is a Giant, for example, because Joe Shane happened to be on the sideline of the Alabama-Tennessee game, and he just simply couldn't believe how fast yeah. Jalen Hyatt was. So those things happened. Yeah. He couldn't believe not only what he saw but what he felt watching yeah. Hyatt play. I mean, that's an example of the difference. Like you can see speed on film, but it just feels different when you're there, field level view, and you see how quick somebody like Hyatt is. You see how explosive somebody like Hyatt is. And, you know, it's, it's the same thing. Like, you know, we have go down to the senior bowl, for example, and you're watching offensive line, defensive line, one-on-ones. And you see just how quick somebody is off the snap, just how fast their hands are. And you get a sense of, more so than watching it on film, sideline view, end zone view, all that stuff, just how explosive and disruptive they can be in the National Football League. So, like, 
getting an in-person look can certainly change your mind or nudge you in a direction beyond the quarterback position. So, you know, I, I get that, but I just, you know, the, with the technology we have, and this is something, you know, talking to scouts, talking to people like Dan Hatman and others, like the ability to just, you can sit in your office and watch, you know, 30 games in a day if you really want to, because of the technology and the film and the, the angles and all the products that are out there. Like you can, you get to watch everybody by the time the draft rolls around. Absolutely. Mark, let's talk about the top two guys in the draft. Giants obviously sitting at number two. For ages now, everyone has said Caleb Will Caleb Williams is the number one guy. Caleb Williams is the number one guy. He's generational. He's he's everything. We've never seen a quarterback prospect like this. And, and you know, he he's the latest guy everybody's saying all those things about. And all of a sudden now you're hearing, hey, maybe Drake May will be the number one guy. You know, maybe, you know, is there what is your take on those two guys? Is there that much separating them? And is it an absolute no-brainer that Caleb Williams is number one and Drake May is number two? Well, there's a lot. So how much time do we have here? Because I, I could honestly <laughs> go like an hour on this question alone. And, and let's start here. This is the life cycle of being anointed QB1 in the summer or in, in Caleb's case, last season. Like, we do this almost every single quarterback cycle. Knock and him down. I've, I've written about this, mm -hmm. and it's interesting. Like, not to go down the political road a bit, but, like, one of the worst things in a, in a sort of campaign is to be anointed the front runner because then you're built up, and then all the coverage after that is to tear you down because we want the horse race on the media side, right? I, I remember reading about this back in my college days, which for those of you watching on YouTube, you can tell it was a long time ago. It's the same when it comes to quarterbacks, right? We put the player, we anoint them as QB1, whether it was Deshaun Watson, whether it was Sam Darnold, like you can go through, we anoint, Trevor Lawrence got this treatment as well. We put them as QB1. We label them as generational. We say they're the next best quarterback prospect since Lux, since Lawrence, whatever you want to say. And then they have a bad game or they have an interception or, and I've, I've heard this from people or they paint their nails before a game or they cry it's, or they, <laughs> they, or they show human emotion. And it's, we can't have that. No, no, no. We can't have that. So I, I think that part of the Caleb Williams discussion in, in recent weeks and months is just the, the just life cycle of being QB1 in the summer. Like we've seen it before. We will do it again. Now, there are some and some people who I respect immensely and trust completely who back in the summer were saying, wait, 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 I, I, I prefer Drake May and not for the extraneous nail painting, whatever. Just from a pure football, playing the quarterback position perspective, I prefer Drake May. And Nate Tice is atop that list. He was saying it this summer. He was telling anybody, listen, look, I prefer Drake May. So there are pure football reasons to perhaps like Drake May. I mean, you can look at Caleb Williams tends to be more willing to play off of structure, play outside the pocket, try to create, try to force things, throw into triple coverage. And Drake May might be your more like, look, he's got the perhaps higher floor and he can still create, he can still do things off of structure. We all saw the like scramble left-handed touchdown pass that he threw earlier this year. He can do some of that stuff too, but 
for a GM who, as we talked about in the first segment, might not want to get fired, maybe you go that route. There are football reasons where some, you know, whether it's an analyst on the outside like Nate Tice or a general manager on the inside, like hypothetically Joe Shane, might look at these two quarterbacks and grade Drake May higher from a pure football perspective. So there's that aspect to it. Now, for me, the sort of third part here of that question, I don't think there's a huge gap. If it were me, my my final grades aren't done. They won't be for a while here because there's still football left to be played and, and stuff left to be watched. I think they're very close. They're very much a 1A, 1B for me with Williams 1A and Drake May 1B. I think the bigger gap is from then to QB3. Um, so if you're a team like the New England Patriots that's currently sitting third and you've got Chicago at one and New York at two, you might face a little bit of a tougher question here. Now, there might be some quarterbacks that you'd still be willing to draft at three. Michael Penix Jr., for example, J.J. McCarthy, perhaps. Jaden Daniels has certainly come on. He's put himself into the Heisman mix with the numbers he's been putting up. So, I mean, there certainly are other options beyond these two. But for me, Williams is 1A, May is 1B. They're both very talented, and I could see either one of them you know, being the first quarterback taken in the first play picked in this draft. Absolutely. And let's – and I will admit I have not – I have watched these guys on television. I have not – I have not gone in and, and started to, to really dive in and really study. I mean, I know what I read. I know what I see on TV. I know what the physical characteristics are. And simply based on physical characteristics, I can see – Brian Dable being attracted to Drake May. I can see it simply because of the size, because of the movement, because of the, there's an easy, there's an easy, and I don't know if it's accurate, but there's an easy Josh Allen comparison to make just physically. And, and I can see Dable being attracted to that. Yeah. I mean, I've never been the biggest fan of comps. I just, partially because I kind of get them wrong, partially because I always sort of view a quarterback as one of one, like they all have their own right. styles They're all and characteristics. Different. They're all different. But yeah, I mean, I, I can see sort of a Josh Allen comp. I can see perhaps a Justin Herbert comp with May. Like, But there's a lot to like about him. And, and one of my favorite games to study of his, honestly enough, was the ACC championship game from last year when they got blown up by Clemson. Because it checks a lot of boxes for me. You know, my own evaluation process has been shaped by some of the hits and some of the misses I've had over the years. And you and I have talked before about my belief in the importance of competitive toughness at the quarterback position and it matters so much. Uh, Part of the reason for that was how I missed wildly on Dak Prescott. And when I missed on Prescott, I had him like QB 15, 17 in that draft cycle. I went back and looked at, and they're right over there, those white binders, which I'm trying to point to but can't quite get it right. There we go, all the way over there. I see them. There you those go. Are my, those are my handwritten notes from years of quarterbacks and evaluated them because I'm still old-school pen and paper guy. I mean, here's the Drake May stuff. Um, and I went back and looked through all my Prescott stuff, and I had it from the game that he had against Alabama where they lost, but he was battling deeper to the fourth quarter, making great reads, great throws, and I was like competitive toughness, highlighted it you know, plus signs and everything, but I didn't weight it properly. And it matters so much the position. And I got the same feeling watching Drake May in that game against Clemson because they lose and they're getting blown out, but he's still battling. He's still making some great reads, some great throws, great throws under duress, under pressure, getting hit, 
as he's doing it, similar to some of the weaknesses we talked about with Daniel Jones in the first part of the show. And it really sort of caught my eye. And there's a lot, I think, to like about Drake May. And yes, he could do some of the athletic stuff. He could do some of the like creativity stuff that matters in today's NFL. It certainly does with what we're seeing on the defensive side of the ball and the talent and the speed and the athleticism on the defensive side of the ball. But then you see the little things like anticipation and timing and rhythm. And sometimes my favorite throws are the ones a quarterback doesn't make. And he had a moment like that against Clemson where, you know, his initial looks are taken away and he has to get to sort of the third option. And he does it like boom, boom, boom on time in rhythm. And it's the little things like that that stand out with him too. And so I think to your point about Dable perhaps liking him, I can entirely see that. So let's go to the next part of the conversation. Williams and May are clearly the top two guys, whatever order anybody puts them in. Uh, you know, the Giants have the second overall pick right now. They might not have that at the end. They might wind up six or seven. Who knows? They might wind up five. They might wind up in a situation where you have to make that choice of, is there a, a third quarterback worthy of a top 10 pick? We all know quarterbacks get overdrafted and 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 there might be more guys drafted highly than deserve to be drafted highly but out of that next group Penix, Daniels, McCarthy, Knicks out of that next group if you had to say right now I think by the time we get to the draft people are going to think this guy is a top 10 worthy quarterback who would it be? I think sitting here right now, it's Daniels, but there's probably some recency bias at play here because I had this exact same discussion a couple of weeks ago, and I said it was J.J. McCarthy. You know, uh, He had a game against Michigan State, a throw against Michigan State, which I could still hear just from watching it on the film. That post route in the middle of the field where he zipped it by the middle linebacker just right outside of his ears, basically. And I was just like, okay, that's the proverbial put the pen down moment. I've, I've seen it. But a couple of things in recent weeks have happened, which have sort of, I think, turned the conversation on McCarthy. And this isn't the Connor Stallions, like sign sealing stuff. You watch their game against Penn State. They basically asked him to hand the ball off for the second half. Like right. It was basically like, we're just going to run the football. And yeah, there are certainly reasons why Michigan did that, I think. But it made me sort of wonder, okay, how much did they trust him? You know, right. and how much is it? I yeah, I watched that game as well. And from the yeah. prospect perspective, you look at that and say, do they really trust their quarterback? Right. And, and that's I don't want to say if it's a full-on red flag, but it's a reddish that flag has a reddish tint to it. Even when you see a, a a play caller do that in a game like that. Because this was a game where you thought, all right, I want to see JJ McCarthy go out and win one, right? And they're asking him to throw screens. He's thrown behind the line of scrimmage, and he doesn't attempt to pass in the second half. Now, maybe, look, maybe he goes out against Ohio State and airs it all over the place, and we have a different conversation. But I do think there's some recency bias here. Michael Penix Jr. is fascinating, has an absolute incredible arm, electric arm, accuracy, decision-making, like can throw the ball to all levels. He's got multiple injuries, and he's on the older side. Like – you might get the sort of Hendon Hooker feel for him where it's like, yeah, the production is there. There's a lot to like, but he's older. He's had some injury history. And if you're talking about taking a quarterback in the top 10, 
that 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 might scare some people off. And then you see what Daniels has done in recent weeks: the athleticism, the explosiveness, the, the arm talent, like all of the box that he's checking in. Even though it seems like he's been around forever, he's still on the younger side as a quarterback prospect. So he's certainly the QB, I think, that has trended up in a number of different circles, in a number of different categories, not just the Heisman, but in that QB3 discussion. And then I think, look, if if we get to, say, Indianapolis, and he has the kind of combine session that we've seen move the needle in recent years, most recently, obviously, Anthony Richardson, because let's all forget, Richardson went from the, yeah, he's probably a fringe first-round guy to, uh, okay, maybe this is, this is QB three to okay. This this kid could go top five over the course of like a month. We might have a similar trajectory on our hands here with Jaden Daniels, right? And I think the the key thing that that I think you keep coming back to is there's a lot of information yet to be gathered. There's a lot yeah. of games to be played. There's a lot of steps in the process yet. There's games. There's Senior Bowl. There's combine. There's interviews. There's workouts. So it's impossible at this point to to set your board and say it's it's these guys in this order and this is where they should right. be drafted. And, you know, but I think what what we're trying to do here today is just get familiar with the names and the possibilities and and and, and what might happen down the road. Yeah. And, and let's not figure we also get an interesting scenario this year when now the NFL has decided that, look, if you're an underclassman, like you can go to the senior bowl, like you can go to the shrine game. And I, I think, and, and people often say like, well, how important is an event like the senior bowl? Daniel Jones got drafted in the top 10, you know, I mean, players, you get the opportunity. And, and I tell people this all the time, like the senior bowl, the game itself is, is just a small part of it. You want to see as a general manager, as an offensive coordinator down at the senior bowl, down in mobile, you want to see how these players practice. You want to see their approach during the week. You want to see how quickly, like if you're one of the teams that's, and this is a huge advantage for teams entering the draft season. If you're one of the teams that's lucky enough to be a coaching staff, that's running one of these teams, whether it's Shrine or Senior Bowl, you want to see, okay, you hand them a playbook on Monday night. How well do they know it by Thursday? Now that's going to tell you what the development curve will be like for a player, for a quarterback where it's so critical. And so you might see a team you know, if Caleb Williams somehow gets down to Mobile for the Senior Bowl and he's playing on one of these staffs, and if the Giants are perhaps the team that's coaching him, like how quickly is Brian Dable going to re- come to understand that he knows the playbook? You know, that that's huge. Or if it's Michael Penix Jr., maybe you get a chance to go through a week and you're like, look, this kid learned our offense in a day and a half. Like imagine what he's going to be like when he has an entire sort of, you know, tra- your training camp's cycle to learn our system and learn it in its entirety. And so there is a lot to be gained, a lot to be learned. But this is a potentially deep quarterback class. I mean, Riley Leonard down at Duke, Michael Pratt at Tulane, like there are Bo Nix at Oregon. There are you know, Quinn Ewers. You know, maybe he decides to come out. That seems to be the path that he's on. I know people are going to be wondering about Shadur Sanders. I do think he's going back to Colorado, but he's talented as well. Like I think we might see a lot of quarterbacks taken. In the first round, I might we might see four in the top ten. And I think wherever the Giants are, whether it's two, whether it's four or six, there will probably be a quarterback there that is worthy of that top ten pick. 
The other scenario, Mark, the other scenario, and you've thrown out some names, and this is kind of the last thing we'll hit before I before I let you go. But the other scenario is okay, the Giants love Caleb Williams, they love Drake May, but they land with the fourth pick and they wind up, you know, not able to get one of those two guys. But the the offensive tackle Fashanu from Penn State is there, or Marvin Harrison is sitting there, you know, or the best pass rusher in the draft is sitting there, and you just can't pass up on one of those guys. Right. So you take one of those guys. I find it for the Giants with two second round picks to to mess around with. Maybe if they wanted to use those guys, use those picks to package and move up into the late part of the first round, or or take whoever sits there at 35. I find that right now that that might be a viable scenario. Can, can it, can they get a quarterback? You think they can go forward with if, if they do it that way? I think so. Just because I have lived so many draft cycles where we get to say February slash March or even earlier, maybe even January. And you start hearing the, oh, this is the quarterback that's going to sneak into the first round, right? Like, I, I have lived this so many times. Davis Webb, for example, was one. Nathan Peterman was one. Now, those players slipped in the draft. Last year, it was Hendon Hooker, right? It was Hendon Hooker's the guy that's rising into the first round, into the top 15 discussion. He slid because of injury concerns, age concerns. And so you might see another – Michael Penix Jr. might be that player where – Yes, there's a lot to love about him. And coming into this season, he was kind of a guy along with Jordan Travis from Florida State where I was like, these are the guys I was looking at as that QB3. Because, again, I think the QB3 debate and discussion is going to be much more fascinating to me than the QB1 discussion. I, I, I think the, you might ask 20 different people that QB3 question, and you might get seven different answers, eight different answers, 10 to 20 different answers. Who knows? Um so I do think that there's a possibility that a very good quarterback, because of numbers, because of other position needs, because of whatever reason, slides into the 20s, slides into the 30s. And so, look, if if the Giants are in a position where their top two are May and Williams or Williams and May, whichever order, and then on their board, on their big board, there's a gap between QBs 1 and 2 and QB 3 – and they're sitting there and their OT1 is there or their edge one is there or Marvin Harrison Jr. is staring them at the face or some other player that we haven't even discussed yet is suddenly like the hot thing coming out of Indianapolis after the combine. And it's, look, you can't pass on this talent. They could probably use those two seconds and move up to get a player that falls. They could probably at the top of the second get a good quarterback, a quarterback that we have talked about as potentially a first-round pick at that point of the draft because of the way the twists and the turns of the draft season go. So I think that's a viable option. Again, there's a long way to go before there, but sitting here right now, you know, a week before Thanksgiving, yeah, I could certainly see that being a viable option for the Giants. Absolutely. And Mark, as, as you said, it's a week before Thanksgiving. There's a lot of football to be played. There's a lot of information to be gathered but uh, this was a a really fun sort of opening look at the quarterback class and the situation for the Giants. And, and I thank you for the time. 
and uh, hope uh, you and yours have a great Thanksgiving because I'm, I'm not sure I'll be talking to you before then. So, Well, I hope we do catch up before that. But if not, Ed, uh, fantastic holidays and Thanksgiving to you and yours. And I'm already looking ahead to dinner in Indianapolis. I mean, we, we got to figure it out, getting together. I don't know. We'll, we'll do something out there. Yeah, I don't know. This this might be, you know, it this might be the last one for me, Mark. First really? of all, I'm first of all I'm getting old. And 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 second of all, if they if they move the combine out of Indy, yeah, I'm I mean, not going to LA. I'm I, not doing I, it. I, I'm saying that right now too. Like, look, Indy people always mock sports writers, right? They're like, "Oh, why do you love Indianapolis so much?" It's cuz you can walk to literally everything. everything. Ed and I have walked from the hotel to the convention center to dinner. We have done this before, but you're not going to be able to do that in L.A. Like you're not going to no. be able to wake up in your hotel room and be in front of Bryce Young's podium in 10 minutes when the combine is in L.A. It's, and so, yeah. yeah, if this is the last indie one, it might be my last one, too, in which case we'll have to do it upright and go to Prime or something like that. Absolutely. Mark, thank you very, very much for the time. And, uh, you know, everybody, you know, remember, guys, if you if you want to read F1 stuff, go to go to SBNation.com and, and, and look for Mark's byline. You know, I don't, I don't know. And it's kind of a waste of talent as far as I'm concerned. But uh, but but it is what it is. And so anyway, Mark, thank you very, very much. Uh, Giants fans, thank you, as always, for listening. Please stay safe out there. Take care of each other. And we'll talk again soon. Bye bye.